Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 13, 2015, and today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page XXVI, paragraph 2. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Diane G., The Twelve Traditions, Janice B., and reading the text today for us is Martha Z., Marcella M., and Elizabeth S. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, October 12, 2015, is 8105. 8105. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. Grateful to be here this morning. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Melanie, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. I will now ask 
Janice B. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Janice B., compulsive overeater in, in Vermont. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. And Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Janice B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators <clears throat> pardon me, is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. The meeting does request that your share be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the person speaking should be muting, should be muted rather. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXVI, paragraph 2 in the doctor's opinion. And now I'll ask Martha Z to begin our study this morning. Good morning, Good morning Martha. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Okay, thanks. I can, yes. Thank Hi. you for your loving service. The doc oh, I'm Martha Z. I am a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, 
we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Good morning, friends in recovery. Um, I have actually have two definitions of the word allergy. The first one is an abnormally high sensitivity to certain substances, and that's that's from the uh, big book, the little big book dictionary. And the other one I got from a an OA a, a big book teacher, and it was an abnormal reaction to a be- beverage or substance. So, um, and, and then I wanted to say at that that um, the end of the paragraph where it says um, something about the explanation makes good sense, and so the abnormal reaction that I have is when I ingest certain substances, I get this phenomenon of craving. So for me, um, sugar and flour mostly, but certain ingredients, sugar, flour, fat, and um, those ingredients in combination. And so the phenomenon of craving looks like I ingest it and then I have to have more of it. There's no such thing as eating two cookies. There's eating two boxes of cookies. So I have to eat more of it and I have to finish the whole thing. And so, I mean, I got to the point where I would start buying smaller sizes of things because I knew I was going to eat the whole thing. Anyway, and then I would move on to the next thing. I was absolutely unable to just have a little bit of it. I could not eat those binge foods and ingredients um, normally. I could not just eat them moderately. So that's my phenomenon of craving. And then I have, I've got notes in my book from my big book guide and I, what I have written is, food changes my perception of reality. It becomes more, it, it becomes about ease and comfort, what the food does for me. And I could never remember what the food did to me. I could only remember what it did for me. And then I had two other thoughts, actually, um, about this paragraph, because if we say, if we, if we say that we have an allergy, it it should take the shame off. Like we we didn't, as they say in Al-Anon, um, you know, we didn't cause it. We can't control it, and we can't cure it. And um, so it's 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 not a choice. We 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 have no choice or control over it. So you know, it's not like look what I did to myself. It's it's more it. There's something wrong with us, and and we. For me, I I had to accept that. I had to accept that I could just not eat moderately. There was no way I could have any of my binge foods in a moderate way. So anyway, that's all I have. I'm I'm grateful to know I have an allergy. I'm grateful to accept that I have an allergy and and um it's not a problem anymore, which is, is a complete miracle. So anyway, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Martha Z. Who would like to comment on this paragraph? Marcella. This is Bella. Can I share? Sure, Bella. Good morning. Anybody else? That was smooth. Thank you so much. Good morning, Charles. You can start us out this morning. And then Good morning, Melanie. Um, good morning. Thank you, service. Charles to Republic Visionary. Real quick. Um, you know, I just see the humility where uh, he says that the layman, you know, his, his opinion, right? I see the humility in that, um, but as a, 
but as uh, someone that's recovered, that's what I get from that. Um, you can see that it makes sense. You know, it, it interests me. It still interests me because, you know what, it's not just, for me, it's not just sugar. You know, even in some apps, if I could keep it 100% real on a Tuesday morning, right, <laughs> like how Jim can work, like if I could keep it real, right, and don't be coming up in here faking it. Even even abstinent food got too much sodium sometimes, right? And I got to take a look at that, and that interests me because you know what? <laughs> if my blood pressure raises, I need to still have interest even today. So <laughs> it ain't about the food plan; it's about the allergy. It's about knowing about the physical aspect of this disease that wants to destroy and crumble me. Not just sugar and white flour. I mean, maybe that is for some people, you know, and. You know, I love what the, the late Dr. Um, Wayne Dyer says. It's the space between the bars that holds the tiger. So prayer and meditation for me is so important. But this, 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 this opinion about an allergy is so important, and I'm so interested in it from all aspects. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. And Dorita, I wanted to let you know that I did hear you. And Marcella M., you're next. Thank you, Ronnie. Good morning, Mr. Morris. The allergy of the body that makes sense. That that's that's what I learned in a vision for you. Reading exactly these uh, these paragraphs, I learned because I had been abstinent from um, sugar and flour for years when I came to a vision for you. But then, taking a closer look, I realized that I also have an allergy to other factors of my food, other components such as. Um, carbs in general, which includes grains and pretty much all the fruits, everything that tastes sweet because my brain doesn't seem to know the difference between artificial sugar or the real sugar, and and also volume and also frequency. So my experience in my own body is that um, in 1985, when I first joined OA, I was living in Mexico City, and back there and then we only had one meeting, and it was uh, three times three meals a day, nothing in between, but all foods were allowed. So I, I managed to lose, to lose all the weight and pretty much have, you know, like a, like a peaceful reprieve from the, the physical allergy by eating moderate amounts of, of sugar and flour imitating normal people. But I was young. I was 25. And um, I do believe that this disease progresses because whether I'm ingesting my alcoholic foods or not, Every single day of my life, I'm more and more and more sensitive, which explains um, the fact that when I um, surpassed the amount of juice that I should have drank, I just couldn't stop anymore. I just couldn't stop, and I just went from from juice to, to carbs to, to bread to binges to uncontrollable binging day and night. So as I'm getting older and I'm, I'm, and, and I'm granted abstinence, uh, more is revealed as it says in the big book, more is revealed little by little. And now I'm so grateful. I'm so, I just feel so great that I had a very highly structured plan, food plan, with three meals a day and nothing in between, everything weighed, everything measured, which absolutely eliminates all the possibilities to trigger my physical allergy in terms of, my food plan tells me what I need to eat, in what amount, and what time, and how I eat it, and my role is clearer and clearer, and therefore safer and safer. 
and that liberates my brain and my mind and my heart to accept the spiritual plan of action, which is the steps. And I'm just so forever grateful to a vision for you who explained to me word by word the doctor's opinion on that best. Thank you, Marcella M. Bella G. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Melanie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, it's such a wonderful, wonderful paragraph. It's such a hope. It gives hope. And yes, thank you, God, now that I know that part of my disease, it's allergy in the body, it gives me the opportunity to be, to go out from the circle of blaming and judging. And the most important thing to, I, I feel now, I live now, a guilt-free person. I don't have the guilt anymore. You know, I don't blame myself. I know that I have an allergy in the body to certain food, and and I can live with it, just not to put my allergy food into my body. And it's I don't feel guilty. I didn't give it to myself, this allergy. This is the way that I was created. And it's, it's like all other kind of allergies. A person that has the allergy of dairy or nuts, it's okay. Nobody look at, looks at them like they are funny or stranger. So they know that they cannot eat it, and it's okay. And the same thing. It's okay for me too. This is that I am a compulsive overeater. It's not because I don't want to. It's not because something is wrong with me. It's because I have an allergy in the body. And it's it's go out from that circle to blame and to judge. And it gives me the opportunity to accept myself and just not to eat my allergy food. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Dorita, you're next. And would you be willing to give me the first initial of your last name, please? Thank you. Hi, my name is... I'm nervous. Hi, my name is Dorita P. P. Um, my name is Dorita P., and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you. Good morning. Um... So, um, the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. Um, in the past, before when I would go, well, in the past when I would go to um, dietitians and nutritionists, what they told me did not interest me um, because I knew I could not follow their plan. Um, you know, they say eat from all the food groups and um you know, for example, eat one slice of bread. I was never in my life, I don't think, ever able to just eat one slice of bread. Um, so I just wanted to comment on that. And then um, this part here, as layman, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But um, as ex-problem drinkers, uh, we can say his explanation makes good sense. Um, so we, in one sense... <laughs> Excuse me, I have a cold. Excuse me. 
in one sense, uh, we are laymen, but in another sense, we are, uh, well, I'll just say for me, I am a professional or expert on, um, you know, this thing of uh, compulsive overeating because I've had so much experience and so much research and so much evidence uh, that I can't just eat one. Um, And it explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Um, So in the past, you know, the different diets and the different things I tried to lose weight, um, you know, I was always baffled. Um, I would lose weight. Um, and I was always baffled um, when I would gain the weight back because I, I really couldn't explain um, how it happened. Um, so I'm just really grateful. I'm sorry to keep saying uh, I'm, sorry. I'm nervous, but I'm, I'm just really grateful that I found out what was wrong with me before it was too late. And I lost 100 pounds, but I'm still about... 15 or 20 pounds away from gold weight. So, and I'm working on that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Dorita P. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Mary Kay. Kim Mary Kay. And Kim G. Anybody Reba else? P. Hi, Reba. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Okay, Mary Kay, you're first, and Kim, you'll be after Mary. Good morning. This is Mary Kay, a recovering compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you, God. The I want to comment again on the, the the release that comes with the allergy and the removal of shame. <clears throat> One of the things that I think is very clear to me in my learning through these studies and and from the, from the the soldiers that have gone before me in this path is that the with with our particular malady it certainly is true for me that our pain is often chronic it's it's often low-level pain that builds over the years and it's just enough that we manage through it and we keep thinking we can do it ourselves and you know and 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 even when we realize we've got a problem, you know, we're we're, we're never going to be 200 pounds, and then we hit 200, and we're never going to be 225, and 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 we hit 225, and we're never going to. We keep moving the goalpost up because the pain is there, but it's chronic pain, and we figure out ways to live with it. And I've lived with pain for so many years in my life, decades literally, and had said these words to myself that. What do you expect? You carry all this weight around. Why don't you do something about it? You know, what do you expect? And I would even forget to tell the doctors. I've lived with so much pain in my life that I've accepted pain as a normal condition of my life. And what this program has done for me, and thank you, God, thank you, God, that he has brought me to these pages and to these rooms, is there is a hope. There is a solution. And I am thankful that I finally know that I have an allergy and it's not just me being unable and shameful um, I, I can I can give it up to somebody else who's much bigger than I am to help me through this and with that I pass thank you thank you Mary Kay Kim G 
Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. But as ex-problem drinkers, we say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. You know, we as compulsive overeaters experience this abnormal reaction, but since we're experiencing it, it feels like a normal reaction. So someone had said earlier, you know, people look at me and see what the food is doing to me and wonder why I'm doing it. I know what the food is doing for me, and I'm wondering why they're not. So I just want to give two examples. You know, I'd be at a, at a birthday party as a kid, and I'd have that piece of cake, and I'm watching my friend have half a piece of cake and stop, and I'm beating myself up because why don't I have that willpower while at the same time hoping the mom asks for help in the kitchen so I can go in the back and eat all the leftover cake. What I didn't understand was my friend was eating a half a piece of cake because she doesn't want any more cake. She doesn't, when people say something is too sweet or that they're full, they are telling the truth. I thought they were bragging because I've never tasted anything too sweet and I've never been too full. I have to understand that people experience my binge foods differently. That's why I have an abnormal reaction. And I had an experience this summer where I was gardening on my backyard. It was really hot. And I came in and I poured myself a big glass of water and I drank half of it and I went about my, my little errands in the house and I went back and I looked at that glass of water and I thought, well, well, why didn't I finish the water? It was because my thirst was quenched. I didn't want any more. And I thought to myself, huh, maybe that's what other people are experiencing when they eat my binge foods. They have a certain amount, they get satisfied and they don't want any more. That boggles my mind. That's why it makes sense. That is why I have to understand that my reaction is different. If I simply had a problem with food, people who simply eat too much, the problem is when they open the bag because they eat too much. My problem as a compulsive overeater is not when I open the bag. It's when the bag is empty because when the bag is empty, my body is telling me I have to have more. If you can identify in with that, that's what a compulsive overeater is. So just end with, this is why, you know, as my compulsive overeater brain, I don't remember who's in weddings, but I remember what they served at the wedding. As when I babysat, I didn't pick the job because of the children. I picked the job because of what was in their pantry. If you ask me about relatives, I can tell you that the Greeks in Virginia are about Pop-Tarts. My Aunt Teresa in, in upstate Pennsylvania is about rice pudding. You know, when people celebrate, they're there to commune with people. But yet when I go to celebrations, I'm sticking stuff in my pockets and going to the bathroom to eat by myself. If you can relate into that, that is the explanation that makes good sense to those who suffer from compulsive overeating. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Reva P. Good morning. This is Reva P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I'd like to focus this morning on the words um, ex-problem drinkers um, and what that means to me. Um, what is a problem drinker or a real compulsive overeater? Um, and, you know, my family was watching the baseball game um, the other day, and uh, one of my daughter's friends brought a whole bunch of uh, candy, which... Uh, we really don't have in this house, uh, not because I'm restricting it, but my kids just don't have it. Um, and it was 
it was irritating me um, for some reason. And I just mentioned it in passing to my son, and he looked at me like I was talking about, like I was talking Chinese. Um, so a lay person cannot understand what uh, happens to me as an ex-problem compulsive overeater. They don't get that phenomenon of craving. And for me, this is just, you know, one aspect of the disease, the physical allergy. So um, for me, problem overeater, real compulsive overeater means not only do I get this physical reaction where I get a foggy brain, I get um, extremely exhausted, usually fall asleep, and then the next day I have the jitters where I cannot sit still, and my only thought is, I want more. I want more of the stuff that makes me stoned and out of it. Um, And the other thing as an ex-problem drinker is that when I'm feeling an emotion that's uncomfortable, part of this physical and mental is that my best thinking says, the food will give me ease and comfort when I know I end up like stoned and falling asleep. Um, that's an ex-problem drinker, and laymen, you know, don't get it. So I'm so grateful that I got into this program because I never knew that there were other people who had that same physical reaction and that mental obsession. And not only that, but there is a solution. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Uh, this is Larry. Hi, Larry. You bet. Hello. Thank you, Mel. Good Appreciate it. Larry, uh, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. I apologize in advance. Uh, there might be some background noise. I'm out taking the dog for a walk. Um, just wanted to comment briefly and just kind of piggyback on what uh, others have shared. Um, you can't learn, if you're a true compulsive reader like me, I had to recognize that I couldn't be taught how to be a normal eater. But, you know, and and that might be like, well, no kidding, Larry. Of course you can't be taught how to be a normal eater. You're not normal when it comes to, uh, to food. But, you know, that's really how I was operating. I was operating in a manner in which I was trying to learn how to be a normal eater. And I could no more learn how to be a normal eater than I could learn to be something else that I'm not. I couldn't learn how to be a, the experience of a, of a woman. I, I couldn't. I, I could try to empathize. I could read all about what your experiences are like, but I couldn't have that experience. And so, too, did I have to fully recognize that I would never be taught to be a normal eater. What I had to do, the only reason I'm abstinent today, there's only one reason that I am abstinent today, is because I accepted the twofold nature of this disease. I had an allergy of the body, and I had an obsession of the mind. And as a result of that, I was persuaded, the disease persuaded me primarily, I was persuaded to take this prescription that we call the 12 steps, that for some reason results in a spiritual awakening sufficient to drive out that obsession so that I don't want the food anymore. If I still wanted the food, if all I got was to be taught a diet, then I would be holding my breath underwater, waiting to come up for air and, and take, ah, oh, that feeling that that food used to give me. 
I don't need that anymore because, only because the obsession has been driven out. It no longer exists for me as long as I remain in fit spiritual condition, which happens for me one day at a time. But trust me when I tell you, for me, my experience is, I can't speak for anyone else, that the obsession was lifted. It was driven out. And that's what these steps do. They don't do anything for the allergy, but they drive out the, uh, drive out the obsession of the mind. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Did I miss anybody? I thought maybe I heard one other person when Larry was speaking up to share Leela M. before we move on. Mary B. Leela M. and Mary B. Yes. Let's go with those two, and then we'll move on. Thank you so much. Okay, Leela M. and then Mary B. You go ahead, Leela, first. Uh, hi, I'm Leela M. I'm from South Jersey. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I just wanted to share, this is my first time sharing online. Um, but where it talks about the allergy, we have an allergy to uh, that an allergy that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. Um, I've been in twelve step fellowships for a long time, and I've been in OA for a very long time. And I've read the doctor opinion, doctor's opinion, over and over again. But I have to say that the concept of the allergy never really struck me. in the way that I understand it now until I start listening to vision. And what comes to mind is that um, I knew I was different, but what makes sense to me now is that I am a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And what I understand now is that it's never going to work. I'm different. I'm bodily different from my, you know, from other people. And um, I'm, I'm just grateful that by going through the 12 steps and going through the book one paragraph at a time, um, I have come to recognize that I'm different and that, thank God, I'm in recovery today. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Leela. Mary B.? Star one, please, Mary. Hi, Melanie. Good morning. Uh, Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Okay, great. This is Mary B., gratefully recovered from Central California, but currently in Southwest Arizona. And um, this topic that we're on, um, a little history of OA was given yesterday, and it was well done, but I see it just a little bit different. Uh, I came in when OA was two years old, and Roseanne was my first sponsor, and we did uh, help one another stay on calorie-counted diets. And we didn't have our own experience, strength, and hope, so we turned to AA. But we went to AA for inspiration, not for a lesson in how to work this program. And um, I remember being very inspired and I also remember that when I moved from West Los Angeles to the San Fernando Valley, in the San Fernando Valley, Irene B. had brought in a food plan called the Gray Sheet with no sugar, flour, or grain, weight and measured. And when I left West L.A., they warned me to stay away from those weight and measured people. There were the weigh and measures, and there were the moderate mealers. And um, 
So, you know, we did not know, understand, or accept the idea of a food allergy or addiction. And I don't think the gray sheep was brought in for that reason either. It was just a good diet and a good way to lose weight. For me, um, what delayed my recovery in this program was my refusal to accept the idea that I had an allergy to the to certain foods until I practiced the food plan that eliminated all of those things. And just in practicing that food plan, not making any lists or anything, but just eliminating sugar, flour, and for me, quantity, because I'm a huge quantity eater of anything that doesn't crawl or fly, was I able to really see that I do have that allergy to those foods. And the way I see myself today is that I am an alcoholic with food. I'm an alcoholic with certain foods. I chew my boobs. And when I think about my allergy in that way and working this Alcoholics Anonymous program, that for years I said, oh, that's great, that's for alcoholics. But my problem is food and I'm different. I can totally, I totally accept it, totally accept it, my disease my allergy to sugar, flour, and quantities. And that only after doing that was I able to totally take step two and step three. So today, I can gratefully say I am a recovered food addict compulsive eater. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share. Thank you, Mary B. And now we'll move on to the next paragraph, which will be paragraph three on XXVI, though we work out our solution. And Marcella M., would you read that and share on that for us, please? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Okay. Okay. Um, Marcella M., recovery. Uh, Do we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane? We favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who's very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before his approach, and he has been a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Do you want me to stop there, Melanie? Yes, please. Okay, good. Marcella, recovered composer over eater in Boston. Well, this is so important, this whole chapter, the doctor's opinion. That's really the doctor's opinion is what makes a vision for you different from any regular AA big book because alcohol to us, we need to decode what's the meaning of alcohol to us. The rest of the program, you can get it in AA, but this chapter, this chapter is really where the mystery is. What exactly is alcohol to me? What does alcohol, what is the effect of alcohol in my body, in my brain? What is the effect of my alcohol in my mind, in my heart, in my will? That's exactly, it's so, so important. So if we see a drunk, right, 
it's very clearly to see, oh, yeah, he needs to go to detox, and detox for, you know, like, I don't know, like three weeks, and then once he stops shaking and once he kind of, like, has regains his short-term memory, maybe he can understand the book, right? And it's very subtle in us to recognize what is the meaning of jittery way food. I'm going to tell you about my experience. When I eat and when I binge and when I'm in constant digestion, grazing all day, and when I eat enormous amount of sugar or flour, I get sleepy. I get weak. I uh, fall like in a daze. And um, I fall in a daze. And... Uh, I'm falling at days, and, and I stop thinking. I become, like, mesmerized with my next bite, and I have, like, an apathy, like nothing really cares, nothing is really important, um, and I want to make sure that nothing is in between me and my beloved food, which at the moment seems like the answer to all my problems and all my sorrows. So as you can tell, once I have the food between me and God, I cannot get reached by God because I have a main obstacle. And this obstacle is the enormous amount of food that I'm ingesting. That's the obstacle. So when uh, when I um, ask for help, right, and I ask uh, a vision who you sponsor, will you sponsor me? Well, sure, first you need to detox. First, let's agree what is alcohol to you. What is the meaning of you getting drunk with food? So let's talk about the ingredients, let's talk about frequency, let's talk about quantities, right? Because you don't want to know these things, but I can get drunk with raw broccoli. I mean, just give me four pounds in an hour, and I'll eat the whole thing, and my mind stops working. Um, I even got drunk with water, plain water. I mean, I drank so many gallons of hour that I wash away my sodium and other essential nutrients. I had to go to the hospital. So I can get drunk ingesting stuff. So... If I get just a little period where I just stop, you know, stop the evil effects of alcohol, my alcohol in my, my soul, then I will get so desperate, so desperate because I'll be in deep withdrawal. I'll feel worse. I won't feel better. I'll feel a lot worse. I'll feel like I'm literally dying without my food. I'll feel so fearful, so shaky, so anxious that whatever my sponsor says, read me the book line by line, explain it to me, I'll say, yes, please, because I'm dying here. And without that. Thank you, Marcella M. Who would like to comment on this paragraph, paragraph three? Rachel W. Hi, Rachel. Sally. Leah. Sally and Leah. But anybody else? We have room for a couple more, probably. Leanne. Hi, Leanne. One Christy, more. Elida. Did you say Chrissy M? Yes, Chrissy M. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Let's go with that and see how time allows. Thank you. Rachel M, you're next, or you're first, I guess, on this lineup. Hi, this is Rachel W. Is that who you're calling? Oh, did I say Rachel M? <laughs> I think no I problem. did. Yes, Rachel, Rachel W. No okay, thank super. you. Hi, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Um, good morning, everyone. This is Rachel W. Recover Compulsive Reader Calling from New York. And um, in my big book, this sentence, more often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Is That sentence in my big book is highlighted, it's circled, 
because to me, that changed everything. That was the deal breaker. Um, when I came in the room, you know, I look at my process in OA, when I look at, you know, the way OA used to be, and, and um, I, I point more fingers at myself than I do at OA, quite honestly, because, um, you know, I, I, I think that there was a lot of, I did, you know, there were messages there that I did go to some meetings that may have had the big book here and there, but I think that um, I look at it as my whole process has just been continually evolving throughout the years. And um, when I first came in, I, 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 I got the message that, you know, the steps could make you abstinent, so just start them, you know, and, and they did. And, um, and for some reason, over the years, you know, a, a short while later, I got to my fourth step and I'd pick up food. And, um, and then um, I'd be back into it. And then I, I noticed that um, when I sponsored, the same thing would happen. You know, around the fourth step, they pick up the food. And so it, it took a while until I realized, and especially definitely coming into vision, that gave me a whole new, you know, perspective on, on how the big book can be applied into a way. Um, but until that happened, I thought the steps could make you abstinent. Maybe they can, you know, maybe they can. But what I, whenever I have this debate or I have a sponsor that asks, this is exactly the sentence that I, I, I bring out and I, and I show because it's, it's telling us here that our, our brains have to be cleared because there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming up later on. And, and how can I enlarge my spiritual base if I'm still in my addiction, you know, how is that? That as, as again, I said it yesterday, but you know, we heard on Sunday there can only be one higher power. So how could I be in my addiction and enlarging my spiritual base? How could I be in my addiction and and make and, and have a clear view of my fourth step? And I'm not saying that people who are binging can't apologize for what they're doing, but is it really that tore from the floor up that's required, you know, to 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 go through this process and really live this? through the steps. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a matter of the difference between, you know, viewing the steps as sort of like a spiritual concept. You know, I heard this, um, I heard a rabbi say that, you know, so much of what's in the steps is really inherent in, in, in literature and spiritual literature, but, but how many of those people, you know, learning that literature view it as life or death? You know, an addict, when, when, when you know, when, when I, as an addict, you know, do these 12 steps it's not just this um intellectual good idea you know i'm doing this because there is no other way i i'm either going to be in one place you know in the food in the addiction or or having this incredibly enlarging spiritual experience with a higher power and 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 an understanding more of of myself and my addiction and it's it's it is one day at a time um because you know just went off by end off by saying that you know, when the food is down, you know, and, and the brain, you know, okay, is cleared, we just, the steps come in and, and help us. So, anyway, thank you so much for letting me share when I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel W. Sally A. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning. Vision for you. It's Sally A. Recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. So, this is um, a very interesting paragraph because. It really is sort of the starting gun for all of us. I think it really basically says, begin some instructions on what we're going to do in order to once and for all get well. It's time to get well once and for all. And if you really believe me when I tell you that it's really time to get well once and for all, to put the food down, then hear what this paragraph says. They start out by saying, here's the solution. So we work out our solution. 
we are going to work out our solution in these pages, in this instruction manual. And the solution is a spiritual one, and it's an altruistic. It says on a spiritual as well as altruistic plane. What that says to me is it's, it's I'm harping on page 569, paragraph 2, Dr. Kennedy, where he tells us that the organization of Alcoholics Anonymous calls on two of the greatest reservoirs of power known to man, religion and that instinct for association with one's fellows, the herd instinct. So they're telling you that you're going to work out your solution, and your solution is going to be God or a power greater than yourself, whatever that looks like for you, and a herd. There's going to be people that are going to help you. So there is going to be this altruistic plane is our caring for each other. That's the herd. Then it says we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. I wish that I could have been locked up, even in a closet, just to put the food down. And the truth is, page 102 in this book tells us, go or stay, but be sure you're on solid spiritual ground. This, to me, makes a case that you've got to put yourself in ICU, your own personal ICU. You've got to stay away from people, places, and things initially, just initially, until you are neutral with the food. You have to protect and guard yourself because you don't know what it is that's triggering you to go flying into the food because life is so painful. That was my experience, that I turned to the food because life was too painful. Therefore, I had to avoid whatever was painful as to the best of my ability. That's all I could do in order to stay stuck long enough to get well. And then it goes on to say it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared. It's imperative that you stay stuck long enough. That's the truth. I could stop. I just couldn't stay stopped. But you can stay stopped long enough if you pick up the tools, if you press into the middle of the herd. Don't think that you can just follow along and straggle behind the herd. You've got to press in, make the phone calls, use the people around you as a, as a protective barrier. To, and that's, that's the herd mentality. I wish I could say more on this, but that's how I see this paragraph. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Leah M. Thanks so much, Mel. Oh, this is so good. There's so much to say, and I've enjoyed hearing everybody uh, share on this. So important. You know, I look at it like straight talk. I remember when my husband was diagnosed uh, with stage 4 cancer, and, you know, we had a straight talk uh, that day in the physician's office. Uh, thank God he's well <laughs> now. But, um, you know, I appreciate and, um, you know, respect the importance of this straight talk to those who are still suffering. You know, it says uh, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. I mean, I came into OA in 82. I had five more years of progression of this illness. I kept testing my personal control. I didn't really know what the heck was going on. The doctor's opinion had never been cracked open for me. Um, when the disease had beat me into a state of reasonableness, someone sat me down and said, listen, you have to be in a state of food sobriety. You have to be as sober with your food, Leah, as an alcoholic is with his alcohol. 
There can be no compromises. There can be no middle ground. Otherwise, you're going to keep triggering this phenomenon of craving, and you're going to end up on the couch in a sugar stupor with drool going down your chin, and you're not going to be awake for what needs to occur in order for you to recover. Now, I couldn't do that on my own. (laughs) The disease was beating me up. Um, I thought I was going to go insane. Uh, Suicide was becoming a great option for me, and so I did check myself in to a place to get uh, separated from my food. We know them as rehabs. They're not miracle places. Uh, they just It just allowed me some separation so that I was available because we can't serve two gods at once. You know, cannot bow to two higher powers. Uh, it enabled me an opportunity to separate from my disease because it was going to take more than just acceptance of who I was. It was going to take willingness and it was going to take action because unless I made a decision and took action, the admission of my powerlessness was just superficial and it was short-lived. You know, things were not working for me for my level of, of illness. You know, I had to treat uh, my disease with the severity that it was expressing itself. Uh, so my disease uh, was so severe that it took severe actions for me personally, this is my own personal experience, in order to get cleaned up, in order to uh, get out of the fog, get out of the anesthesia, and be awake enough and alert enough to start embarking on the remedy for my illness, which was going to be uh, these 12 steps taken in proper sequence while food sober, so that I could have a spiritual awakening which was going to drive out the obsession of the mind, the greater aspect of my disease. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leah M. And Chrissy M., we probably won't have time today. My apologies for you. We'll put you first on the list for the second hour. Leanne S., you're up. Hi, it's Leanne S. I'm from Florida, and so good to be able to talk for a moment. I can't unmute too often when I'm on the line, but I'm here every day. So many things were said. Um, this this line is one of three in the doctor's opinion that insists that we have to be sober before working the steps, and I've had many experiences of trying to do the steps before putting down my allergy substances and activities. I love what um, was said before about drinking the water and how that must be for a person who doesn't have this obsession and allergy, wow, that's a great way to think about it because I could never figure out how people put stuff down and just left things on their plates. And my disease was a double whammy. I had, I wanted the food, but I had to be skinny as can be, so I had both sides going. And once the binge occurred, then there was a lot of punishment that had to happen after that to get myself back down to where I belong. So to try to work the steps in that kind of a, tornado was just silly and I'd be in so many workshops and just like hanging out thinking like how I couldn't even relate I was just in outer space because usually I was trying to figure out how to get rid of the food yet I needed the food and wanted the food it was just a constant like ping pong back and forth and um, it's so vital to me today now to know that that's what had to happen for me to get any kind of of effect. And um really struck me, too, the other day, um, we were talking about if we're getting the effect from something besides God, um, it has to go. 
I have to think about that a lot because I am an addiction switcher um, in the area of food. I have to be very careful of foods that are too enticing or even if they're like sugar, flour-free. So this is really good, and I'm grateful that the um, doctor's opinion emphasizes it a bunch of times about putting it down because I'm putting down the substance before we can work the steps because I know um, a lot of people around around still try to do it the other way. In my personal experience, it, it never worked that way. Um, thank you for all that I heard here today, and um, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leanne S. And my apologies again, Chrissy M. will make arrangements for you to be first up to share on the second hour. Um, please stay for that. And thank you to everyone who shared this morning. And please join us for that second hour today of unrecorded study. It's going to follow immediately after closing today. And we will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Uh, will Elizabeth S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, everyone. This is Elizabeth S., Recovery Compulsive Eater in Alberta, Canada. Can you hear me, Melanie? I can. Good morning. Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we all know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.